Thank you for tuning in to another episode of our podcast series on competition law and patent settlement agreements. My name is Ollie Henry and I'm an associate in the patent litigation team. In this episode, I'll be joined by Sophie Lawrence, a partner in the competition team, and we'll be taking a look at pro-competitive effects associated with patent settlement agreements and the extent to which they are relevant to the assessment of whether Article 101.1 has been infringed by object. So Sophie, I wonder if we could start with what a pro-competitive effect actually is and why the topic is of particular interest following the recent case law emerging from the Court of Justice. Yes, sure. So in essence, a pro-competitive effect is an effect coming out of an agreement that serves to promote competition. Um, For example, where an agreement results in companies offering lower price or better quality products to consumers. Now, in the context of patent settlement agreements, the patentee and the generic company may wish to reach an agreement whereby the generic is entitled to enter the market, albeit perhaps only in a limited way, before patent expiry. Now, if the generic product is made available at a lower price, and if that causes the originator to reduce the price of its product, the settlement agreement could be said to have a pro-competitive effect. However, we do have to be very careful here. Um, Exactly this issue came up in the Generics UK case. In that case, the Court of Justice confirmed that a settlement agreement can escape classification as a by-object restriction of competition, so that's the more serious form of competitive restriction, if the existence of pro-competitive effects gives rise to a reasonable doubt that the agreement causes a sufficient harm of competition to be regarded as a a by-object infringement. And if you haven't yet had the chance to listen into our podcast on infringements by object, please do go back and tune in to my colleague Edwin Bond in episode four. However, the court also indicated that on the facts of that case, the pro-competitive effect was unlikely to be sufficient to outweigh the finding that the overall agreement restricted competition by object. So are there any examples of a pro-competitive effect that would be sufficiently significant? For example, In generics, would it have made a difference if the limited entry of the generic product onto the market had resulted in a substantial rather than slight decrease in the price of the medicine? That's a good question. Unfortunately, the Court of Justice didn't provide examples of the kind of pro-competitive benefits that would be sufficiently significant and where you draw the line on that kind of scale. But its comments do imply that the benefits are going to need to be at least comparable to the competitive benefits that would have followed from independent generic entry onto the market. If the benefits are minimal or uncertain, such as a slight reduction in the price of medicine following generic entry, those sorts of minimal benefits are not going to be capable of giving rise to sufficient doubt over the categorisation of the agreement as restrictive by object. Right, so I must admit, I'd always thought that pro-competitive effects were relevant in the context of the exceptions set out in Article 101.3 rather than Article 101.1. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting um, part of this generics UK judgment, and it's come up in a couple of other recent Court of Justice judgments. And I think it's a recognition that when you're considering whether an agreement restricts competition at all, you do need to look at it in its economic context, and that will entail some consideration of effects. So you're right that pro-competitive effects are primarily relevant in the context of Article 101.3, but the Court of Justice has held that they're also relevant to the primary question of whether an agreement should be assessed as restricting competition at all. 
So in essence, if it can be established that an agreement has a plausible pro-competitive effect or, or, or rationale that can call into question whether the agreement as a whole um, harms competition, the Court of Justice has held that the agreement should be assessed um, by reference to whether it has effects on competition rather than as a by-object restriction. And as uh, our colleague Edwin Bond discussed in the earlier podcast I referred to just now, this distinction is relevant because it affects the evidential burden on the competition authority, or indeed on a claimant in private litigation. If an agreement restricts competition by object, there's no need for the competition authority or the other party in the private litigation to show evidence of concrete effects on competition in order to establish a breach of competition law, and that's obviously advantageous. If a patent settlement agreement does need to be assessed under the by effect rather than by object heading. I understand that the court would consider the counterfactual, in other words, what would have happened if the agreement had not been entered into. One thing that's always been unclear to me as a patent litigator is how the court can possibly take into the account the likely outcome of patent proceedings that haven't actually taken place. Yes, you're definitely right to question that. Assessment of the counterfactual in cases where competition may have been restricted by effect is always tricky um, and all the more so where you need to re think about reconstructing the possible outcome of litigation that, that didn't proceed to a, a trial. Given that this outcome of litigation is usually unknowable, um, the Court of Justice has been very clear that the prospects of success in the litigation is only one factor among many which have to be taken into consideration. I would expect that this factor to carry a bit more weight where a patent has previously been tested in, this, in, in different litigation, for example, although even then the potential for a finding of non-infringement as regards the particular party in question would be still unknown and that would still be a relevant factor in the counterfactual assessment. Thank you very much, Sophie. Unfortunately, that's all, all we have time for in this podcast, but Sophie and some of our other colleagues will be back shortly with the next instalment in which they'll be looking at some of the unanswered questions that remain in this area.